prepare, uh, to prepare a worship that is honoring God and you can see in uh, their efforts and their work the dedication they have to the Lord and, and uh, blesses God and it blesses us. So I'm so thankful for Mark, the work he does, our elders and all of our volunteers who just commit so much, our Sunday school teachers and so many volunteers. I will say that you do have in your bulletin, and we are going to do this. I want to mirror just uh, briefly what Don said. Uh, just an information activity and newsletter. We actually sent the email out uh, this last week, and, uh, and this will be a part of our regular. We'll just share this with you. I mean, we're not a CEO. <laughs> we're not a Fortune 500 company or anything like that, but we are the church for the body of Christ. And I like this. It, it's a really good... Uh, information overview and uh, that really creates, I think, a very uh, encouraging picture. It really does. And uh, when I think about who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do, uh, I'm comforted uh, to know that uh, this church, even a small rural church, uh, is doing so much in, in really a biblical way. Uh, to to share and to serve and to honor God. So you'll get this uh, regularly, and uh, that'll help you understand and know and be aware of the things, the information that you need uh, that uh, this church is uh, supporting and involved in and doing. And again, it is good to be here this morning. I ask that you open your Bible to the 22nd Psalm. And then I also want to point one other thing out that we're going to do, because I really dropped the ball last week. I don't want to do that anymore. I noticed it was Julius Plot's uh, birthday last week, turned 18, but missed Linda. Linda? Yeah. yeah. Nah, well, your hopes have been dashed. And, uh, but, uh, so it's really good. So each, uh, each week, and we're just going to do this, we're, and if we're going to list the November, whatever the month is, birthdays and anniversaries. So if we don't have your information, uh, make sure that Allison gets it so we can add it to the list. And it's always encouraging to think about uh, the different members and um, just if you're the kind of person that likes to send a card, that's just some helpful information for you. It is helpful. Uh, okay, uh, 22nd Psalm and in your handout. Now I sent... I actually emailed that handout. We're going to, not only are we doing those each week, uh, but we're also going to e email those uh, prior to Sunday. So if you want to review them, you can. Uh, but that 22nd Psalm, it is the song of the Messiah. And as I said, if you were alive 2,000 years ago and uh, you're familiar with the, that moment in the crucifixion of Jesus where he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You would have, anybody in that crowd would have been aware of what was happening. You wouldn't have had to have guessed. You wouldn't have had to think about it. You wouldn't have to say, what, what's that all about? You would have known. You would have known that Jesus was crying out, singing out in a loud voice, the beginning verse of the 22nd Psalm. It was a Psalm of David. David had written it at least over a thousand years before this moment occurred on Golgotha, uh, but it was one of his Psalms. And uh, there's some speculation and uh, some great study that had been done over the centuries and really the millennia of what was going on in David's life when he wrote this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know the 51st psalm was written by David after his uh, sin with Bathsheba. Uh, but the 22nd psalm, 
the, the belief and the speculation is, is it was a culmination. Many believe that it uh, revolved around uh, the division in his kingdom and with the death of Absalom. But it could have been many things in his life. Although he was a man after God's own heart, if you read his story, uh, it was also great moments of faith and dismal, dismal moments of sin and failure. So, uh, but it would become known as the song of the Messiah because of the salvation theology, the salvation doctrine, that if you were a people that needed saving from life's greatest dilemmas, that this is, this is what? This would be the theology or the doctrine of a Savior. And so it's a psalm that is set, a psalm of David that is set in that, that very setting. And so just as a quick recap, uh, that very first uh, question and dilemma, there's four parts to this psalm, is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then I had mentioned last week that statement, that verse 3, yet, yet. You see it again in verse 9, yet. Verse 19, but thou. So the yet and the yet and the but thou to the dilemma is that there's something, no matter what's going on, there's something that supersedes it, intercedes, is greater than. There may be a moment in your life where you're overwhelmed and you're saying, God, where are you? And you see no place that God is in your great moment of need. Yet, the doctrine and theology of the Messiah would say, oh my. And in this case, it had to do with the holiness. I mentioned to the young folks this morning about that. Uh, the greatest need, the greatest comfort, the greatest direction, the greatest foundation that you and I will ever experience in our life as we face dilemma after dilemma, burden, uh, questions that seem that, that we can't get an answer to, is if we will understand and know and cling to and hold on to the holiness of God. I mentioned, and I thought Braden was the one that brought it up this morning, uh, we talked about, and I had really great answers, but... Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, the need of a courthouse. You know, every city there's a courthouse. Uh, why do we have courts? Well, you know, they were very forthright. Well, divorce, civil suits, bankruptcy, you know, all kinds of things that happen in our courthouses. Who's going to prison? Who's right? Who's wrong? But Braden, the word he used was justice. Justice. So a courtroom in every city represents, supposed to represent justice. Now, I'm just asking real quickly this morning. Even with the desire of humanity to establish, we want justice. We just want justice. And so we have a court houses and we have a constitution and we have laws and bylaws and you know, elected officials. Do you trust it? I mean, do you trust man's justice? You would like to think that you could. You, you want to. But our very best attempt is weak at best. It just is. For many reasons. The stories through the centuries of men seeking justice and not finding anything. In fact, finding the opposite. Corruption. 
books upon books and moments upon moments in history have been recorded about even in man's best attempt for justice, we fail. We fail miserably. We try. Isaiah would say that the righteousness of man is like a filthy rag unto God. So holiness. The holiness of God establishes many things. Many things. The one thing it completely establishes is his justice. Now, I cannot trust in the justice of men. I can't trust in my justice, what I think. But I can trust the justice of God because it's holy. That's the significance. I shared with them the most difficult funeral that I had ever done was of an 18-month-old child that had been beaten to death by a live-in boyfriend. The members were members of our church, and I remember regularly seeing the very small coffin, uh, and the church was packed. And then the questions that ensued as a pastor of that church, and people were struggling with that. How could God let that happen? And it opened the door for me as a pastor to share with that congregation individually, collectively, about the holiness of God. Now that's some meat, and it bears studying and talking about. And uh, I would just say this morning as a beginning point right here at this moment, when David wrote this psalm, there was a great question and a dilemma. And the yet moment was understanding the holiness of God. That second uh, problem that you have is a great burden. And that burden is, I, I'm telling you, I'm a worm, I'm not a man. I'm, I have the reproach of men, and I'm despised by people. People sneer at me. All this is a picture of Christ on the cross. And that great, great statement, the answer to that, to that great dilemma, the, the answer to that terrible burden, that personal burden, as we've been crushed. And I like your thoughts this morning, Don. You know, the scripture says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But we have an assurance of greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And we can resist him, and he will indeed flee. But we have been crushed, and if you haven't, you will be. And you'll be at this, this spotic moment in your life, and here's the truth. Here's the yet, and it bears repeating. God gave you life. God gave you life. And it was not a random event. And it wasn't an afterthought. And it wasn't a maybe. God, before the beginning of what you and I can understand, the framework of time, that he had ordained that Philip Mundine would be born. And, that, and before the days of your life, he had ordained that. And it's true with every individual you look at. From the very worst and the most... Uh, despotic, use that word twice, to the, what you would consider the finest human being. God gave you and I life. And that supersedes any burden in my life 
that has to do with my own sinfulness. Then that third is this, uh, there's a request. And the request is in the form of the affirmative. It's a beautiful use of words. It establishes a truth in verse 19, but thou, O Lord, be not far off. It's, it's, a, it's a question, but it's not just a question, and you find this, it's constant in the Hebrew literature. It's a truth and a question, but it's a question that the truth, the question answers itself in a truth. And although it seems as though a question there is a truth, the Lord is not far off. And no matter what's going on in our life, it, no matter the trouble is near, verse 11, I'm surrounded by enemies. I, there's that use of roaring lion in verse 13. And believe me, you, when Peter wrote that passage about Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, the echo of this psalm, this 22nd psalm, had to be in that scripture. Then the picture of the Savior poured out like water. His bones are out of joint. His heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery. Wow. Dogs have surrounded me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments. And in the midst of that, there's a greater truth. And that is, hmm, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I can live with that. And then today, now we're only going to cover in this handout the response of the say, and that's A. I, I will tell. Now we read the passage. Uh, so in that 22nd Psalm, there's a response. You got, you got a question, you got a burden, you got a request, uh, all associated with the dilemma, and then you have a response. The Messiah, the doctrine, theology of the Messiah. This is really those first three dynamics. Would, if you've lived long enough, you've experienced them all. If you've lived, you've been married and you've had children and you've had health issues and you've failed and you've had enemies. You've experienced at some level all three of these. And then there's a response. So the response is telling. Because as you and I experience all those things, those difficult, tragic times in our life, the most important thing then and if you don't have your theology and doctrine right, if it's not the theology and doctrine of the Messiah, it's not going to, you, you do something, but it'll be the, in ultimately the failure of men. But if you're, if you're living by the, the yet and the yet and the but thou, then there's only one response. And that's the beauty. Now, here's what my desire for the Christians, for the church is. This, this response creates a clear picture, a 3D picture of what a healthy Christian, Christian marriage, Christian church, Christian man, woman, husband, the response is the very reality of a person that's gone through all this stuff. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, I, I'm a worm. I'm despised. I'm surrounded by enemies. And that's the kind of people, as they've been through that, and they've 
come to the knowledge of the yet and the yet and the but thou. That's the kind of people that you, their life will re- really mirror this response. And that's the kind of people that you want to be around. That's the kind of people you want your kids to be around. That's the kind of people you want, you want to be around. It's rooted in this deep, deep empirical truth of Scripture, and the response begins in verse 22. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. Now think about that. Wednesday night, I asked the kids here, I said, let me, so let me tell you. So what do you find yourself talking about the most? You know, what do you talk about? What would you spend your money on? You know, if you had a lot of money. What do you get joy? What, what brings you joy? And I just, <laughs> I lose so much from these kids. But I want to start with you. Because that's how you know. That's how you know. What do you talk about? Passionately. What is, if people say, well, I know Mondo over there, Paul Jenkins or David Kellenbrink. Talk to me what he what he tells people. What does he, what does he tell people? You know, they have in the, the whole poker world. I don't, it, you know, if somebody has a tell, if you watch them, there's something that gives them away. They could, you know, maybe that's a poor illustration. But if you examine yourself and say, because I, listen, I don't have to know. God will always know. What you're telling people determines, really does, who you are. You may come to church on Sunday and you may sing, this is my father's world. That third stanza in there is the one that really, it seems it's like things are really bad. They're off. Oh, but there's a greater truth. And uh, hmm. you'll know what's important to a church, a preacher, a Christian man. What do you tell people? What is it that you're telling? Because the response of the saved is, I'll tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I'll praise thee. Now next week, I cannot tell you how excited I am about next week's sermon because I put together here the, to who? B. We're not doing that this week, but I will hope you spend some time because nowhere else in the entire Bible, nowhere else in the entire Bible from verse 22 through 31 will you find a more comprehensive list of the people who are telling and praising and the why and the what. You won't find it. It doesn't exist. Isn't that appropriate for the song of the Messiah? Look at it. This is, I will tell what to who? My brethren, the assembly, those who fear God, the descendants of Jacob and Israel, the afflicted. I actually left some out, by the way. I actually left one out. Those who seek him, all the ends of the earth, all the families of the nation, the kingdom, the worshipers, those who owe him, the dead, even the dead, the coming generation to a people who will be born. That's what we're going to do next week. 
And you won't find a more comprehensive list in Scripture in that combined little short passage of Scripture about who I'm going to tell, why I'm going to tell them, what I'm going to tell them, who's going to be doing the telling. And by the way, I will tell you, you want to you you know you're in Christ? You want to know that you understand the song of the Messiah? Boy, just look at the list of who they are and what they're doing. But to, listen, this verse 22, I will tell of thy name to my brethren. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I'll praise thee. Now, it is not convinced, confined there, but that's where it starts. It starts right here. It always has. That's been part of God's plan. You know, I remember Dr. Anthony Evans saying years ago that what we do on Sunday is a huddle. Julius, you understand huddle. You know, a huddle is something you do privately. We get together privately in a huddle and talk about what we're going to do publicly. That's what it is. We're over here in private, and publicly, I'm going to run over this guy. And the church is the greatest bunch of huddlers in the world. And I think the world is watching us, and they say, well, there they are. Look at all the cars out there. They're huddling on Sunday. But then we break that huddle, and we're supposed to go out and do something. They see us huddle, but I'm not sure they're seeing us telling. Telling. Tell me the story of Jesus. Now, we're telling something. We're all telling something. We tell it at the restaurant when we leave church on Sunday. We tell it. We tell it when we go to work. We tell it. We tell in some kind of name. Usually it's our name. We telling it in the way we drive and traffic. We telling it in the way we handle when people hurt our feelings. We tell it in our response. We tell it when we gossip. We telling something. If you go to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, it says, G, uh, Peter and John, they've just been arrested. Peter preaches that first gospel sermon. Man, it's powerful. And then they leave there and they're going to tell some more stuff. They're going to tell some more stuff. And so then they're arrested by the same people that had Jesus crucified. And if you go in that fourth chapter, I have it earmarked here for you. He says, he tells them a story. He says, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, people who have brought me to the court. Let me tell you who are looking for their justice, but not God's justice. There's no other name, on no other name in which man will be saved except the name of Jesus. You read Philippians in chapter 2, and you go all the way down, and it's this great Christ hymn. And at the end of that hymn, he said, let me tell you something, that there's going to be a time that every tongue, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. We all going to tell a name. And there's only one name under which man could be saved. But I want you to go to the 107th Psalm. And we'll finish here. This is, if you're not quite sure what it really means to tell the name, to tell the name of Jesus. You go through scripture and... uh, Isaiah, the ninth chapter, 
Isaiah would write, a child will be born unto us. And he'll be called. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. When he was born, you can go to the Gospels. And they say, you tell him his name, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He would name, be named Jesus, which is the salvation of God. There's the name. But, so we can name the name. And Jesus would say, and this is the point that I hate. This is Aubrey's burden. Yeah, I read in the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about people outside the church, folks, because they ain't calling him Lord. There are people who assemble. They're part of the assembly. They say, Lord, but he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's why this song of the Messiah is so important. That's why the theology and the doctrine of the Messiah is so important. Because the response of the saved is, I will tell. I will tell. I will tell of thy name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, to those who fear the Lord, all the descendants, everybody who stands in awe, those that have been afflicted and despised. It's going to be done in a great assembly. And you can just go on and on. But the 107th Psalm gives you, gives you the very clear picture of those who tell the name of Jesus, no matter where they are. It is the psalm that establishes, in, in what CJ said this morning, many call this the psalm of thanksgiving. It's a powerful psalm. It begins in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I don't know if you know who Heinrich Hein is. I wrote this down. He was a 19th century German philosopher. And this is what he said. Show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. I'm telling you folks, there's a whole bunch of huddlers and if, if the heart needs piercing, praise God. I hope and pray to God that you will never hear a prosperity gospel from this pulpit. But I hope you'll hear the gospel that honors God. And, and the truth is, either you're redeemed or you're not redeemed. And we huddle because we've been redeemed. And then we talk about privately what we should be doing publicly and then we leave here and something maybe else happens. But it's telling something. And so this psalm of thanksgiving starts with, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? That I give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His righteousness is everlasting. Uh, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. There you go. And gathered from the land, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. 
This is a song of thanksgiving from and for and by and through and to the redeemed. Now listen, here it is. Here it is. This is, this is it. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Matthew 25, Jesus said, oh, listen, I'm going to tell you who's going to heaven. There were those people that were hungry and they were fed. They were thirsty and they were given something to drink. The hungry and the thirsty and all these psalms fall into the doctrine of the gospel and the Messiah. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way. Jesus is the straight way to go to an inhabited city, the city of God. You and I are supposed to be the inhabited city. We're the people that should be easy to that. There's a straight way to those people. That's the inhabited city. That's the city of God. It's not a geographical place. It is a biological place where the redeemed assemble in heart and spirit and mind and even in body. And there's a straight way to it. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to this. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. And here it is, church. This is it. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Jesus went in the middle of the day and he, he sent his disciples off to get something to eat and he stopped at a well where a woman who had been married five times and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. She was there to gather water in the middle of the day because she couldn't come in the morning because she was despised. She was gossiped about. She was said terrible things must have been said about her. You know, you know, boy, that fifth marriage didn't last very long. You know, the guy she's living with now, and she couldn't show her face. And she was thirsty. And she'd gone to draw water from the well. And the Lord of all creation sat down with someone who needed redeeming and said, let's talk about water. Oh, man. Woo, it should excite you. He said, I'm going to give you water. They'll never, you'll never thirst again. He said, I am that water. And not talking just about a physical thirst. He's talking ultimately about a spiritual thirst. I wish the church was thirsty. I wish the church was hungry and thirsty. I do. The redeemed are always hungry. The redeemed are always thirsty. They're not, they're not, they're not satisfied. There's a great song. I listen to it all week about turn your eyes towards Jesus. He said, when the things of this world go strangely dim, wow, the redeemed are people that the things of this world, they are constantly growing strangely dim. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I can tell you when a church, a preacher, when I can tell you when they're hungry and they're thirsty, and they know the only place they'll find satisfaction is in the God of all creation and his son. There were those, verse 10, who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners, prisoners, prisoners. Matthew 25, I was in prison, you came to me. I was hungry, I was cold, I was in prison. And there were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Why? Why? 
because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. When we huddle and we leave here, we need to tell people of the name, above all name. And why? Because only in His name will you find salvation. Only in His name will you find the answer to all of your rebellion, everything that you've spurned. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Now I want to ask you something. I really want to ask you this. Most important question I'll ask you this morning. Can you tell people, can you tell people that moment when God had humbled your heart with labor, you had stumbled and there was none to help, and you cried out to the Lord in in their trouble? That's what he tells the people. Jesus tells another story about uh, those that are thankful and love much. He says those are, and it was also at a moment where a prostitute would come in and anoint his feet with tears and oil. And, and the religious guy, so if he knew what kind of woman this was, And Jesus answered that. He knew what was in this guy's mind. He said, let me tell you something, brother. He didn't use the word brother, by the way. He who is forgiven little is thankful. Little, for just a little. But he who is forgiven much loves much. When I see churches divided... Members full of religion and no relationship. They're full of religion. But there's no relationship. It's always because of this. 100% of the time. This isn't 98%. It's because they've never done a calculation based upon this. They've never done it. God humbled my heart with labor. I had rebelled against the words of God. You know, people might say, you may interpret Scripture differently. That's, first of all, that means that Scripture cannot be found to be absolutely truth. That's a word from Satan. It's not. People won't, they will interpret it differently, but the Scripture is either absolute or it's not. But one thing you might, just just the way you debate that, you can't debate this. How could you debate this? Is the Word of God very consistent? Is the, can you know the Word of God concerning rebellion? That just means acting against God. God, you don't need me to tell you that. It can be understood, by the way, at a fifth grade reading level. That's a fact. All the things that God says, don't do this, if you're a fifth grader, you'll understand it. You don't need a theologian. So you you and I don't get to interpret that different. That's not a matter of interpretation. That's just a matter of rebellion. When God says that he hates divorce, do you need a theologian? When God says homosexuality is an abomination under the Lord, do you need a scholar? When God says these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, 
those who envy and gossip and are prideful and anger. Do you need, you need a theologian for that? You got problem interpreting that? This man didn't. The redeemed will never have a problem with that. The redeemed will always be like the guy in Luke 18 who can't even look at God and say, Dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. You and I may disagree on a whole many number of things, but if you and I cannot agree that God has established what's right and wrong, and when you rebel against it and spurn it, you are lost and dead in your sin for all of eternity. And these people, the redeemed, could say that. I think the biggest problem in the church is We've got religious folks who can't really tell. Oh my God, I had rebelled against the words of God. I'd spurned the counsel of the Most High. He humbled my heart with labor. I have stumbled and there's none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands apart. And again, let them give thanks for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. I don't mean this proudly, but I will tell you, I can tell you exactly when that moment happened in my life. I can tell you when the realization of all of my sin and my repugnancy and my filth and my arrogance and my pride and the trouble that I was in And the shame that came with it. And I'd had dear loving grandparents. Who took me to church. I'd heard the gospel preached. I had friends like Paul and Melinda Jenkins and I could go on. I'd seen God humble Paul Jenkins. I don't mean to embarrass him. And I could go on. I wish I knew your story. I look out here and I see David Kalenbrink. You don't think that God doesn't have somebody who collects taxes in a tax office where he'd rather tell you about the name of Jesus than your taxes? He doesn't. I don't mean to embarrass him or honor him. It's the truth. Many of you. I can look over here. Melanie's over here. I, you just... She's always up here serving, doing something. I look at this newsletter. You know, we got over 50 volunteers in this little church that serve Awana and Sunday School and Zim. This little church. We got people up here that are cleaning and picking up and doing and trying to, because they love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Now, I believe this is consistent with all of them. I believe this is consistent. I believe at some point, they may not have been in a prison, but they were in misery and shame. They had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. They know that God had humbled them, and they'd stumbled. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And their response of the, the, of the redeemed is this. Man, he brought me out of darkness. He broke the bands apart. All I can, let me give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men, because he's done something no one else can do.
and shattered gates of bronze, and he cut the bars of iron asunder. I want to continue, but I'm out of time. I hope that you will examine your life, and you will examine it from the position of everything that has happened in your life, you could look back on, and you could say, you could just say, Oh my, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is no other name by which men could be saved other than the name of your son, Father, I know and believe that when the horn and that big uh, sound and that trumpet uh, sounds and it goes off and the heavens are opened, I know and am convinced in my heart that every knee will bow. That all of eternity will hinge upon that moment. Every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ, the salvation of God is Lord. Father, I pray that we as a church, not just in our assembly, but as we leave here, will thankfully, thankfully tell the name of Jesus. Not just in our words, Father, but in our deeds. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.